Welcome to the Giants Huddle, a New York Giants podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Giants Huddle podcast. We'll be joined by Paul Dottino in just a second. Our two guests today, Lance Zierlein and Dan Shanka, as you do a preview of the 2020 NFL Combine. You can find the Giants Huddle podcast on the Giants mobile app, Giants.com, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for Giants Huddle podcast, add us to your feed, and if you're an Apple podcast, please leave a positive review if you like what you hear. We'll get to Dan Shanka from Arrow Lads in just a bit. But first, we're joined by our guest, Lance Zierlein. You know him as the guy that does all the reports you find on NFL.com's Draft Tracker. You can hear him on ESPN Houston every morning, and you can see him on NFL Network and hear him on the Move the Sticks podcast. Lance, did I miss anything? No, no. Occasionally a Colin Coward here and there. And I'll be on today with on NFL Now at about, uh, oh, about an hour and a half. I'll be doing a hit there, too, to show up on NFL Network. So just busy. Yeah, always, and of course, heading into the Combine, real busy time as you get all those reports ready for NFL.com. We thank you for joining us on the uh, Giants Huddle Podcast. Well, let's start with this, and I'm going to look at this from a Giants perspective, but I want you to focus on these prospects because you've been watching them a lot more than I have. When the Giants get there at four, there's a really good chance there's going to be four offensive tackles that different people have top ten grades on. From what you're hearing from NFL scouts and from what you've seen, can you differentiate for me how Jedrick Wills is different than Andrew Thomas? How are they different than Tristan Wirfs? How are they different than Makai Becton? Break down that group at the top of the offensive tackle list for me. All right, so I think that at the very top for me, it's um, Jedrick Wills. Um, Jedrick is, has, has played you know, right tackle. He's been a guard. He has some guard or tackle flexibility. Um, but I, I think he's more than athletic enough to play tackle. He's very athletic. He is a powerful run blocker as well, uh, plays with good hands, plays with a lot of explosiveness and drive at the point of attack. And like I said, has the, the foot quickness and athleticism to, uh, to handle not only speed rushes but inside counters as well. That's, that's the kind of feat he has. Um, as far as Makai Becton, he is – Massive. I mean, he's going to weigh in close to about 350 pounds. Uh, he carries his weight exceptionally well um, for that amount of weight. He's in good shape right now, from what I've been told by people who are working with him. And um, he is a left tackle. And that obviously, some people will view that as having more value. But Makai Becton is extremely powerful, can just batter people with his, with his powerful hands. He can move as a move blocker. Um, he's got to get a little bit better as an inline blocker, and he's got to become a little bit more patient in pass protection as well. So he's got a little – I think he's behind Wills from a standpoint of, you know, where he is now, but he's got a lot of potential. And there's a lot of teams really excited about him, and, and especially for the Giants. Um, as far as Wirfs, I think Wirfs and Andrew Thomas, for me, would be a little further down the line. Neither one are great blockers. Um, Wirfs, everyone just expects him to be like Brandon Scherf. And while he's going to, you know, he can, he can squat a house and he's going to have a big bench press, that doesn't necessarily translate into the type of dry blocking you want. He, he, there's not as much bend and leverage at the point of attack, so he's not a real grinder as a dry blocker. He has a tendency to overset in pass protection, which means he, he puts too much weight on his outside foot and guys can beat him inside. That's got to get fixed. But if it gets fixed, he's got good feet. He's got great core strength. He's a former wrestler who's got great leverage. And I think he's got a chance to be a good, a solid right tackle. But many teams also see him as a guard. And I don't look at that as a negative. I look at that as 
you know, roster flexibility. And then finally, Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas, to me, is maybe even a little safer. Even though I've got the grades the same, I think he's a little safer than Wirfs. He's, he's got some dog mentality. Um, he has played left tackle and right tackle. He's got, uh, he does a good job of, of resetting his feet to help him maintain his pass protection. He doesn't always look pretty, but he gets the job done. He gets guys blocked. Uh, he's another one I think that can be a little inconsistent as a run blocker. He's more of a baller than a technician. But so that's you know to me, it's Beckton and Wills are going to be kind of on the on the, the the top tier, and then on that second tier are going to be the other two, Andrew Thomas and Tristan Warps. All right, let, let's go to Isaiah Simmons. I've probably watched around six games from him, Lance. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. I, I know a lot of people are, and most teams are scouting him as a linebacker. But the way he plays, I see strong safety. And, and I'll tell you why. He plays a lot in the slot. I think when the action's in front of him, I think he does a real good job. He can cover. Um, I don't see him, you know, stacking and shedding inside the tackle box on power runs. But he can run guys down the open field, open field tackling. He can run. He can cover. Uh, how do you view Simmons? And to me, He's one of the more unique players I've watched, and I think whatever team does draft him, they have to have in mind how they want to use him when they do. Yeah, I think putting a label on him is kind of a mistake. I mean, you know, you got to call him a safety or linebacker, but the fact is yeah. what makes him so interesting to me is because of all the things you said. I mean, I, I thought his instincts, frankly, were not great between the tackles. He, he had a tendency to misread some runs and, and fit, up, fit I agree. up in the wrong gaps and things like that. And, and and if you really focus on that, you start to get down on them a little bit. And then when you start really expanding, uh, you know, you're expanding what you're looking at and really expanding your, your vantage point of Isaiah Simmons, you see a guy who runs sideline to sideline. He's going to run in a 4-4 range, so he's tremendously fast. He's got great arm length. He can rush the passer off the edge. He can cover as a st- – I mean, he can play as a stack linebacker. He just needs to get a little better with some of the instincts and – Recognition, but the same thing was said about Tremaine Edmonds coming out, who the Buffalo Bills, uh, I think, got a steal later in the first round. Um, he can cover the slot. He he can drop back and do some exotic stuff as a as a single high safety, as we saw in the playoffs for yep. Clemson. I mean, you got a guy who does a lot of different things, including in what really started to cement my draft grade for him is watching him spy the Louisville quarterback last year and. I guarantee you it's because I saw the Louisville quarterback, and it was Louisville specifically, and I started thinking about Lamar Jackson, and I realized here's a guy that, I mean, no one's going to be Lamar Jackson from an athlete standpoint at linebacker, but this is a player who is long, fast, and unusually explosive. And in a spy situation or a zone read situation, I, I recognize Isaiah Simmons is the perfect new breed of hybrid player to match up with these matchup players, these all the you know, offense have offense has been able to put the defense on their heels for the last several years, and it's because now they've got dual threat quarterbacks and they've got running backs out of the backfield who catch and can end up lining up in the slot. You have matchup tight ends who are you know too fast for linebackers and too big for safeties. And well, how about getting a guy who matches up with the matchup guys? And now if you get a creative defensive coordinator. Why don't you, you know, take a, a player who's got the opportunity to attack from a variety of different angles and cause problems um, because you don't know if you're an offense where he's going to be deployed from. So that's why I think Isaiah Simmons gives a, gets a projection grade. I don't think his tape is as necessarily as high as I have him, but I'm projecting him to continue to get better 
to fine-tune what he does and his role, and then um, for teams to really utilize him in a way that takes advantage of all his talents. I don't think he's another Jabril Peppers. I think he's more Darius Leonard, to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. Darius Leonard, who can cover as a you know a slot, a, a big nickel slot, or even you know as a down safety like Cam Chancellor in in a, in a robber role in Seattle. I'm going to sound like an old guy bringing this guy up. He reminds me a little bit of Darren Woodson, who could do a lot of that different sure. stuff too, covering the slot. And he's a little bit different physically, a little bit taller, a little leaner. But, yeah, I think in the modern NFL, a guy like that is really invaluable. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda, is we haven't seen a top four, I don't think, cornerback since Sean Springs or top three cornerback. I forget the number. Uh, is he and his coverage skills worth a top four, top five selection in this year's draft? Well, I think it's close. I mean – He's to me once again. You're you're dealing a little bit with projection because he's got tremendous links, uh, twitchiness, athletic ability, aggressiveness. Like there's there's a lot of things to really love. I, I think there are some guys who are better right now as pure cover guys, but he's he's moving up the charts pretty quickly. Like you, you don't you don't have a lot of weaknesses that you can point out with uh, with the Cuda, and I think it's just a matter of him continuing to get better at trusting his eyes and playing, um, you know, playing instinctive football. If that translates, it doesn't always translate. It doesn't always happen. But if it does happen, I think you're talking about a guy who has a chance to be a, a really, really talented lockdown corner in one of the top three corners in the NFL. You know, Lance, it's funny. When I watch these guys, and Okuda lines up in press a lot more than other college corners do, but even when he lines up in press – he doesn't get his hands on anybody. What's watching it drives yeah. me nuts. I don't understand. If you're going to line up and press, why don't these guys, just general, this is not just Okuda, everyone in college, no one seems to redirect people with their hands at the line of scrimmage as much as they should getting ready for the NFL. You know, you can find guys who do that. Um, Cam Dantzler from Mississippi State does it. Trevon Diggs, I'd like to see it more from Alabama because that's a guy that really gave gave people a lot of trouble. I, You know, a lot of times I think – it's a it's a coaching decision and it's a technique decision where they say let's not give a guy a chance to beat you um, let's let's just go ahead and, and kind of crowd the route and, and, and slow the release. I'm with you though. I'd like to see these big physical guys uh, impose their will a little more frequently. Stanford Samuels will do it some with uh, with with Florida State. Give me the most physical aggressive press guy, a kid named Amik Robertson out of Louisiana Tech, who's five eight and a half. Wow. And he is just as physical as can be. And, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'd like to see that more, especially in college, because it is harder in the NFL. The releases get quicker. They're, they're craftier. They're more clever. And so I'd love for you to show it, at least on tape, a little bit, because that is such a weapon. If you've got a guy who's got the foot agility and the timing and the technique and the body control and balance to do it, it's a big advantage in the NFL. Couple more guys. Are you a Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb man? And do you think either or both are worth a top five selection? I, I think neither are worth a top five selection personally. It's a loaded wide receiver class and you just don't you know, there's really no reason to go out there and, and get a wide receiver that early. I would love it if Jerry Judy were six two six two and a half and <laughs> two hundred and ten pounds, but he's not. I mean he's really more of a Calvin Ridley build mm. and CeeDee Lamb is gonna run in the four five range. So I like both of those players. I think they're talented wide receivers in a little different way. But 
you know, if I'm going to take a wide receiver anywhere near the top five, I want you to be Megatron. You know, I want you to be special physically, not just fast. I want you to have special size. You need to check all the physical boxes because wide receivers, you know, for a lot of people just feel like you've got to be a special, special wide receiver to get that kind of love. And I've kind of fallen that camp as well. I can like them. I can give good grades to them. But if I'm drafting, I'm not taking one of those two guys um, in the top five. That's too rich for me. Yeah, Lance, I'm with you. And I think this is one of those drafts where we're going to get the end of the draft on Friday night, end of the day two. And all these teams are going to go home on Friday night, get begin Saturday morning, and they're going to look at these boards and they're going to see probably three or four wide receivers with day two, maybe even late second round grades still left. This is such a deep class. I think that's going to be a real sweet spot here. End of round three, top of round four, just because there are too many wide receivers to fill all these slots in the first three rounds. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the runs go because there's a run on tackle that could happen at some point. There is a run on wide receivers that could happen at some point. And then, of course, there's a run on quarterbacks and the wide receivers, it's just so deep. If the wide receivers, I, I think they could get pushed back because it's yeah. deep. Now, if the opposite happens and if somebody says, hey, you know, if, if Miami says something like, oh, okay, you know what, instead of instead of us going a quarterback, two is off the board, let's go Jerry Judy. Let's let's get a, a, a let's go C.D. Lamb. Let's get a playmaker in here. If somebody did something like that and all of a sudden it pushed another team to draft wide receiver a little early, then all of a sudden there could be some panic set in. And you may see a run that, you know, shoots a guy like Michael Pittman, who wouldn't typically be a first rounder, mm-hmm. into the back half of the first. So, you know, you could compare him a little bit to Nikhil Harvey. So, um, I, you know, I, I think there's going to be a wide receiver run, but it's really, really deep. So how, how teams have these guys stacked and the type of wide receiver they're looking for, that's very critical because there's speed, there's the slot guys, there is the true wide receiver ones. And then there's just some solid wide receiver two types that are going to be out there for you to get your hands on uh, potentially late second into early third, but definitely in the top 75. Giant fans will scream at me if I don't ask you, is there any shot Chase Young gets to four? Any series of machinations that could happen here? Herbert, you name it. Any chance he gets to the Giants at four? No, I can't see that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see any scenario where a guy who had 16 and a half sacks, 21 and a half tackles for a loss, uh, looks the way he does, and still has a lot of room to get better. I don't, I don't see how that guy, that kind of guy, gets that deep. I agree. Final question, Lance, and I'll dip into the second round here. Where do you see value in this draft in depth? Will you get back into the first round, top of the second round, where the Giants can find somebody of really good value with that pick at the top of round number two? Will an offensive still tackle still be there? cornerback i think mm-hmm. cornerback and then you know you guys have a tight end so you don't really need that as long as ingram plays the whole year this year you know gives you and you've got running back and those are two of the areas that i think offer the best value so you don't really have to worry about that i think uh, you could also potentially see a little bit of value uh, off the edge the potential mm. edge rusher could be uh of some value and you know, it's not a it's not the best linebacker draft I've ever seen, so I think you have to be a little bit careful there. But uh, but defensive back, I do think that sometime in the def- you know, if you're looking for a safety or corner, that's where you have a shot to start to, and, and that usually goes down like that. 
second round is where you start seeing some value at corners, and you definitely start seeing some value at safety. So I think uh, I think defensive back is probably, from a giant perspective, what you'd be looking at. Lance, I know you squeeze us in today. We really appreciate it. Good luck with the profiles, and we look forward to seeing you out there in the combine doing your great work for the network. Thanks, man. And now we'll turn our attention to Dan Shanka. He's the head of Our Lad Scouting Services and, of course, does a great job with the draft prospects, former NFL scout as well. Dan, Paul Dettino, John Schmuel, thanks for being with us. Let's start with this because I think this is interesting. The format for the Combine has changed this year. Uh, it's going to be very different than what we've seen before in terms of the timing, how everything's going to take place. So from the guys you talk to around the league, I know you have great sources. How do you think this is going to impact at all how NFL teams deal with the Combine this year? Well, you know, I think, I think this, that they're, they're have to change gears a little bit in regards to, you know, the, the way things were always set up in the past, the guys come in and they do their, uh, they, they get their gear, you know, and then they go to the hospital for x-rays and do some things like that. And then, uh, they get a lot of the physical stuff out of the way. And then, um, you know, and then the next morning they would go and, and, uh, uh, they get, drug tested every player there gets tested and then you know you go across the street get your height weight and then you start your workout well now you know workouts and things are going to be at night so people can see them running in prime time and things like that your interviews a lot of times always at night also so i think uh you know that's going to change because these guys are really under uh intense pressure for uh two and a half to three days which they have no time to do anything but take tests, answer questions. Get hey, if they're not injured going in, guys, to the uh, you know to all the ortho guys and all that, they are on the way out because I tell you they twist and turn them beyond belief. So I think I you know it's going to be interesting to see you know how things uh, change. But you know what, the NFL is all about money, and if they get prime time TV, uh, big bucks, uh, that's the way it's probably going to stay. Yeah, that's the thing, Dan. It has become a spectacle. And I guess I'd like to ask you from a talent evaluator's perspective, is it easier or harder to do your evaluations now that this has become such an intensely pressurized environment where these guys are being pulled in so many different directions, whereas when the combine started so many years ago, it was so much more simple, and you guys were the primary focus in dealing with what you had to deal with. Right. No, I think I, I'm. I, I liked it when you know the only people that were in the dome were the coaches, the scouts, and the players. You know, and the medical personnel. You know, I mean, it was very low key. The guys knew they had to perform, but now, <clears throat> you know, they're doing it under the uh, uh, you know watchful eyes of the TV camera and things like that. And I think it puts extra pressure on those guys where. In fact, they need to relax and just go out and run. You know, I mean, hey, when offensive linemen, when we first uh, started the combine stuff back in like 1988, 85, and there, hey, offensive linemen had run with Army boots on. They didn't care. Hey, you know, if I ran a 5-5, five, five, you know, who cares? They're going to play with me now. You see those guys out there in their orange uh, race shoes and all that stuff, and really the offensive linemen, hey, they run a five three, uh, five two five, something like that. That's fine. If you run a four seven seven, like Armstead did a few years ago, hey, that's outstanding. But you know, I, I just think that the perspective of things has has changed a little bit. And uh, you know, we always, in fact, I'll tell you a quick story. In fact, he's a former Giant, but um, 
I'm trying to think of his name. I had it on tip of my tongue. But he's a re- the real good receiver that uh, that was from Michigan um, that played for the Giants. Amani Tumor. Uh, uh, that's are... it. Amani yep. Tumor. Mm-hmm. Yep, Amani. Okay. You know, Amani Tumor at night. He came by everybody's booth after the the uh, physicals and tried to get interviewed, and nobody was talking to him. I mean, nobody. The Giants didn't talk. Nobody. Okay. The next day, he runs four three something. You couldn't get him. In an interview, you know what I mean? And it, it, it was, it, I mean, really, in fact, I saw Amani down at the uh, East-West All-Star game, and he said, you're exactly right. He, he ducked and said, hey, do you want to talk to me? Do you, do you want to talk to me? I, I got some time, you know, and this and that. No way talking the next day, he couldn't get it. But anyway, so that was uh, the way things were set up, yeah. But but anyway, I, I just think that um, uh, it's putting a lot of, undue pressure on the guys that are already under pressure. You know, I mean, this is, this, this is their lifetime dream. They want to be relaxed and go get it. And, uh, you know, I think that back then, I mean, it was just everything was, you know, just very low-key, and they had a lot of fun with the coaches and that. Now, you know, everybody tries to put on a dog and pony show, and uh, I think it hurts the kids. All right, Dan, let's talk about how NFL teams are going to use what they learn at the Combine. Because what I always tell people on our shows here is that the most important stuff is the stuff that we don't see. The interviews with the players and the medicals. And, and that is, gonna, is, is going to be what's going to move guys the most on boards coming out of the Combine. And the stuff that the people see, the on-the-field stuff, that's kind of just a, a big confirmation checklist thing where you want what the guys do in their numbers and their events to match what's already been determined about them on tape, correct? Absolutely. No, everything you said is very correct. Uh, in fact, it, I think the combine kind of started out, you know, medicals, you know, bringing the guys all together um, in different – actually, there's two or three little combines they had where guys would come in, get their physicals, and, you know, all the medical checks and things like that. Well, then it kind of expanded to the – you know, 40 and, and the vertical, and then even uh, later, the three-cone, which has only been around, I oh, gosh, I'm going to say the late 90s. But uh, so, but that's exactly right. You know, how the interviews go. But, you know, here's the other thing. You've got companies out there, like you've got Ken Harrock, <laughs> uh, former general manager, you know, with Atlanta. He's got a company that teaches these guys how to interview. You know what I mean? And, and there's several of those around. I mean, that Ken's not the only one, but there's, mm-hmm. they teach them on interviews. So they're even practicing that. And uh, But, yes, you're exactly right. The interviews are extremely important. The medical's probably number one. And then, you know, I always like to see the guys work out because my suspicions confirm, hey, could that guy right. run? I want to know what he, mm-hmm. you know. And that was always fun. But you're right. The, the, the first two things are very important. All right. This may be a tough one for you to answer, Dan. But for the fan at home who's going to watch this thing now in prime time, and there are going to be plenty of them who do it, let's not kid ourselves, that's why it's going to be on, because they're expecting some big-time ratings out of this. What can the fan watch? What are they going to see? What should they be looking for? Give them a thumbnail viewer's guide as to why they should watch and what they should want to see if they're going to gain anything out of this television presentation. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll add one thing to what Paul's asking. What events are important for what positions? You know, what, what, what should fans value when they watch these things? 
Well, you know, I, I don't want to state the obvious or sing to the choir here, but, uh, you know, I think definitely when you're looking at defensive backs, wide receivers, you want to see those guys run. I mean, they, they you know, let's face it, they got to be able to run. I mean, they got to run fast. And uh, But you always keep in mind, you hope they, if they look fast on film, you want them to look fast, obviously, at the combine because, um, you know, you can be fooled real easily that a guy uh, might be, you know, might be a speed or cover guy, but he might not be covering, you know, the fastest guy. He might be able to get on top of the guys that are, you know, the, say, four or five, five guys, but can he get on top of a four, three, nine guy or four, four guy? So you want to see, but again, you, you want to see, I mean, this isn't for the prime time thing, but, you know, when you're scouting that guy, you want to see their natural speed. Now, you're going to see some artificial speed, you know, at the combine because these guys have been training since the All-Star Games and even prior to that, you know, on their starts. They're getting their start, they're, you know, to see how they can really run. But you want to see the speed. You want to see if they're a natural runner, too, when you're watching on TV, their athletic ability where they're not, you know, somebody they're not laboring when they're running. They, you want to see that nice, easy flow, athletic ability. Ability. And uh, and then when they're showing, like, say, defensive back drills, I think the, we always put this in our guide, by the way, the back pedal turn and run times. And we like to see that where a guy, if he's got fluid hips, you know, you're see if they drop their butt, they're, they're dropped, they're, they're getting their footwork, um, back pedaling, and then a coach signals them to turn and run and run through the drill. And theoretically now, and I don't know if they'll have the times up there, they, I don't think they do on the back pedal turn and run, but that theoretically is supposed to match up with their 40 time or be within, you know, uh, you know, some correlation there. So if they're a four or five guy, say for instance, they should, when they do that back pedal turn and run, it should be four or five and change or whatever, you know. Interesting. So, but that, you know, but that's what, you know, you like, and then you like to see the explosiveness uh, on a vertical jump, you know, say an outside linebacker or what have you, um, a running back, you want to see the explosiveness on a, Vertical, they're down because they, you're supposed to go straight up. You know, there's no step. You go straight up, and then on the uh, and, and on uh, the uh, uh, bench press for 225. You know, you like hey, and they cheat all the time. I tell you what, I, those guys <laughs> were. I'm telling you, the guys that are grading it, that we have put up with that crap. You know, and we get their ass. Their ass is on the bench. They're not. Raise it up on their toes. You know, they're not bouncing the bar off their chest. Hey, it's straight. You know, boom, it's straight up. You touch off lightly, boom, explode up. You know, and, uh, I mean, they had guys, uh, the guys that are in charge of those drills, and they're strength coaches, different NFL teams. They're cheating like hell. And uh, if what we do, we'd stop the guy right now and say, no good, okay? You're, you know, you're starting over. We don't want any of that bouncing off the chest. And I'll tell you what, think about one guy, and you wouldn't have it anymore. You know what I mean? And uh, But it's, that really – and then it really hacks me off that they, that they don't touch – Touch the line if they don't do it. You know, touch the damn line. That, that's part of your coaching. You know what I mean? That's part of coaching. Do you take coaching? You know, if you can't touch the line, what well, makes me think you're going to run the right route, come back to the ball? You know what I mean? And things like that. So, I mean, uh, there, but, you know, I like in the three cone, you like to see the guys touch, explode through around the corners and things like that, and plant. And cut, and, and then um, on the, uh, like, big, and the, the W drill, we call it, um, you know, the, when the defensive backs are doing that, you like to see them stick their foot in the ground, drive, you know, things like that. So, um, 
but you know, you'll you, you, to see their athletic ability. I think is really because I mean, even commentators now. I some of the commentators I want to watch the same you know stuff that I'm looking at. Like, oh, this guy really did a great job on his uh, back or he dro- on his drop, and he looked awful. You know what I mean? It's just like, what the you know, what the hell are you guys talking about? You know what I mean? Or, or, hey, this guy he had a really nice block, and I'm looking. Hey, did I miss some film there? You know, the guy didn't. Hey, he went down to his knees. He didn't block anybody. You know, so. But anyway, so but yeah, when you're watching that Funny. stuff at night, prime time, yeah, it's um, you know, watching those, uh, seeing their athletic ability and their explosiveness, and when they come out of the, uh, you know, come out of the shoot there and that forty and how they run through the line and and just you know uh, uh, their explosiveness and uh, in the drills I think is really good and you know their long there's correlations like, like say for instance if a guy long jumps 10 foot okay well he should be verticaling at least 35 inches okay I mean that's like if you go 11 long jump you ought to be up in the 40s okay so if they show those things in entirety you know you'll see that correlation between and that explosiveness before we get to the actual draft class and the players, I have one more question about the actual events because I think the NFL in a lot of ways has turned into an agility sport, right? You've got to go side to side, change directions. That's how you create separation. That's how defensive ends can sometimes get around offensive tackles. So just talk about when you're watching the three cone, you're watching the short shuttle, the type of things you should look for with different position groups in terms of how that change of direction can really make a difference for some of these players. Yeah, it does. In fact, it's even more so now, guys, because – um, you know, the base defense anymore is a four-two-five. I mean, let's yep. face it. You know, mm-hmm. and the first, first first down, you got three wideouts out there, and you got to have linebackers and covers. So you want to see those linebackers be able to run and change direction because that's what they're going to be doing in a game. And uh, you know, the, when you do the twenty-yard uh, uh, shuttle, you know, when you plant and drive, and uh, again, that's the thing that you want to see that on the film. But at the combine, you want to see a guy, you know, run a, like a linebacker. If they run the low fours, I mean, that's outstanding. A defensive back, if you can get in the threes, you know, high, you know, uh, three point eight six, three point eight seven, what have you. Um, you know, you can see that explosiveness. They stick that foot in the ground, boom, go. And but again, it's all a practice, you know, uh, uh, event, and that those guys work. I mean, they they go through that a million times before they hit the combine, so it's not natural thing. So you want to. And their game film, you ought to be able to see their ability to change direction. But no, it is extremely important. And even uh, offensive linemen, say for instance, when they're they're um, you know sliding back and forth uh, when they do the drills where they, the there's an offensive lineman across the line, you know, and they they move laterally real quick, and you're supposed to mirror them, you know, and you want to see that. Lat- you don't want their like their feet, the offensive lineman. You want their feet close together. You want them underneath their shoulders. Or just a our armpits are just a little bit wider, so you keep that good pace. You want to see bend in there. That's the big thing when you're looking at these guys during the uh, combine. You want to see that bend in their knees. See if they're a natural knee bender, so they can move laterally, so they don't have to say squat and then move. They they're already down there, you know, with their knee bend, and then they can move laterally and stay square. But that's that's really for every, we call that a football position, and that's what you play in. So you yeah. want to see that, you know. On the on the uh, in, or in the drills. So Dan, as we embark on the combine, to me the Giants' opportunity to select a variety of players at number four is going to be really affected and impacted 
by how many quarterbacks go up high. And I think the combine may factor into that, or at least that's what I'm going to ask you, because we think Burrow's going to number one at the Bengals. And then two and three with the Redskins and the Lions and somebody who might want to trade up either ahead of the Giants or with the Giants. It seems like the quarterback position could hold the key to who the Giants are going to have available for them at four. So how much will the combine, do you believe, factor in to the desire for people up in that area to go for QBs, especially with Tua, who was coming off the injury? Well, that that's a very good point. They're going to find out, coming out of that combine, the physically, how he's going to be, because that all of a sudden might put Washington and Detroit into play for uh, trade because of, uh, you know, people that want to him. But, I mean, he still scares me. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'd have him on our sideboard, and I wouldn't take him to a certain part of the draft because, I mean, he's already been beat up too much now. Wow. And as you guys know, in NFL, I mean, you know, I mean, you're going to throw $20 million at this guy, and he may not play a down or play very little because he's always in the tub, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sign him on my second contract, but – before he was injured, though, I will say this: we loved him. I mean, he was a terrific football player, super accurate. He could, he had good mobility, but you know, with the ankles and then a knee and then the hip now, and uh, I'll tell you what, that is not a good thing. And uh, he has had some shoulder deals uh, along the way. Nothing, you know. We're going to find out after the combine exactly how, you know, physically. He, but but like you said, I mean, that could play an important part, uh, you know, people moving up, especially if it's quarterbacks, which that's why you know, a lot of people make a move. But, I mean, I think Dave Gettleman would love to sit right there and get, you know, Chase Young at four, you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, I mean, I, and, uh, uh, you know, the crazier things have happened, but, um, uh, you know, people moving up for the quarterbacks and Herbert uh, – you know, he's probably not a top 10 guy uh, in realistically, but, hey, people go crazy for quarterbacks, and somebody's going to take Tua up there somewhere. You know, they, no matter – they're going to say, you know, it's going to be funny if Miami would take him because they wouldn't take Drew Brees with that cho- you know, shoulder. Uh, you know, and now we're going to take a guy that, that was in a mass unit, you know, that, that – he, you know, so, I mean, that that would be real interesting to me. So, uh because, you know, the Sonicines, their doctors are, some of them really drill down deep, so to speak, uh, on, on certain injuries, whether it's knees, shoulders, backs, what have you. And uh, Miami was always, you know, the shoulder, knee people. So uh, I'd be really interested. Of course, they probably got all fired after, after you know, Saban probably fired them all after Breeze went, you know, to New Orleans. He might have. So, but, in, but, but anyway, um, so, no, I mean, it, there's no question that uh, – but but at the combine itself, I don't know that the physicals will be the most important part of on-field stuff for decisions of that top ten, that probably not much because you're going to, you know, have your opinions pretty much zeroed in on, but, uh, you know, uh, until you get those physicals and, like you say, the interviews. Yeah, one of the questions we're going to ask a lot at the combine, Dan, and we'll just go through a couple of players at the top here before we let you go, and, and we thank you for the time as always. How do you differentiate between those kind of four, or maybe you don't think it's four, maybe you think it's less or more. You know, they kind of have those four top offensive linemen a lot of people have in a cluster. Thomas from Georgia, Worf from Iowa, Becton from Louisville, uh, Wills from Alabama. How do you differentiate between those four guys? Are there big gaps between them? Just how do you see the top of the offensive tackle class? 
Yeah, no, that that is a super, super question. And uh, what I like to do is I go and I look at those guys back to back to back to back like three times during the year, you know, early in the year. And then uh, I, I look at them midseason and then I look at them late. And if they played the bowl game, I'll look at them in the bowl games. And, uh, but uh, I, I mean, Wurfs is our top guy. I mean, uh, you know, everybody talks about Wills and all that stuff, but Wills not a finisher. He's a play stout at times, but he has problems with really edge speed. Uh, um, to me, Wurfs is a, first of all, he's been, you know, coached like a pro for three years. He's a, he's a better athlete than any of those guys. I mean, you're talking about a 67 foot, you know, a 67 foot shot putter, a guy that uh, threw the discus, uh, over 200. Um, I mean, this guy is a terrific foot athlete. And he's a, this guy was probably the biggest baseball player in captivity, you know, uh, in high school and stuff. And, uh, he played, he loved playing baseball. He played all the sports. And, uh, I just think that, and I've seen him. He's, he, he uh, played right down the road from us there. He was in Mount Vernon, Iowa. Yep. And I saw him in Iowa, you know, for three years. So, I mean, and that, and, I'm harder on Iowa guys than probably most people because I see them all the time. Sure. You know what I mean? I mean, I see them all the time. And so I, I, if there's holes in their game, I see it, you know. But I think right now, Worf's is our – I mean, it's going to take something to change that. But Worf's our top guy. Wills is second. Uh, like Thomas because of the speed and, uh, that he played in. And, you know – the thing is, he's got to play with a coach that uh, puts a little fire under him because he can. When he gets, um, if he gets beat, I mean, all of a sudden that competitive fire on him gets it gets ratcheted up a whole bunch. And then back then, he he's a big man, mountain guy, but um, he's not a top ten pick. Uh, I, I think uh, Thomas is probably you know in that twelve, thirteen area. Uh, I tell you, I would not hesitate. People thought I was crazier than hell when I said. Sure is a top five pick who went to the Redskins back in the day, and uh, I think Worse is going to be. You know, he could very well be a top five guy. He could be a guy for the Giants. You know, at five. Uh, you know, at four. And uh, I know that you've got to have one. You know, you got to have. And uh, now, if you trade back, you can still get your guy, and maybe that's you know that's what you can do. But but uh, Wills to me from Alabama, he just. A lot of those Alabama guys, um, they they struggle when they get in the league. I don't know why all the time. A lot of times, maybe because they're beat up. But but and they're coached, you know, with pro techniques and everything. But I think that they come along a little bit slower than some of the you know top Iowa offensive linemen, for instance. Who that's maybe they were weaned, you know, on the zone blocking schemes and things, and they get their hands inside the frame, and they'll lock on you, and they'll ride you, and they'll they'll compete, and they'll finish. And uh, it bothers me about uh, Wills, the way he finishes, and that's why we move, you know, works to number one. Well, Dan, uh, John would testify on my behalf. I was a big sheriff guy coming out of school, that's and true. I was crushed when the Redskins took him. But anyway, aside from that, final question for me, uh, let's put – uh, your needs aside, if you're a, a strictly a GM who was talking best player available and you had to choose between Isaiah Simmons and, and Jeffrey Okuda, and you were like, okay, man, these two guys are just terrific players. They had tremendous production in college, but now I got to project to the NFL level. Which guy are you valuing more and why, given their potential on your board? 
Well, you'd have to go with Isaiah Simmons because of versatility. I mean, this guy can do and can do anything and line up anywhere. I mean, you can move him all over your defense. He can blitz. He can cover. Uh, you know, because he was a former safety. You know, when he goes into Clemson, and now it's such a premium. You got to be able to have those linebackers that can cover. Uh, he can blitz. He's got great acceleration off the snap. Um, you know, he can drop. He can run with probably anybody out there except for maybe the four or three receivers. And then he, he got a good collision in five yards. They might not be able to get up and take off running. So uh, I go. I you know I go with him. You know, but I I, I love Okuda too. I mean Okuda. Though he's going to be your shut down corner. He's the top, our top corner in this draft. And uh, Simmons is our top versatile linebacker. And some people, you know, that big nickel now that a lot of people play, Mm -hmm. they can play him at safety. Mm -hmm. You know, you can put this guy in. And so I think that's what separates the two. Love Okuda, but if, you know, you put my feet to the fire and say, hey, Dan, at four, we got to take one of these guys. Who are we going to take? We'll go ahead and take Simmons. And then in the second round, you know, we, we try to get, if we, you know, we got to get a corner, we got to, you know, make a move and do that. I don't think that there is a ton of depth at corner this year, but I still think there's going to be some good ones available, you know, in the second round. And, and But they won't be those shutdown guys that, well, then there's not a ton of those that really, Okuda's, you know, really a top guy. So, All right, Dan, final question for me, and then we'll say goodbye. Anybody that we're missing that you think should be in the mix at four that we haven't asked you about? And if the answer to that is no, just just give me someone that maybe you think is a lot better than than's getting credit for out there in the uh, you know draft media world right now. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I would agree with everything you said uh, in regards to um, – you know, those offensive linemen, some people are going to like Wills better than I do. I Like, like I said, I like Wirfs better, um, you know, and then uh, obviously Okuda. Um, I think then the Simmons, he, he's in the mix now. I don't know if anybody would put a wide receiver up there because I think you, there's so many receivers that you could get those guys a little bit later. I know you can't get a Lamb later. You can't get a Judy, you know, later. He's going to go in the mid-first mid or late-first or what have you, but but I think that that covers, you know, the top guys that could help the Giants, at least at this point. And sometimes guys emerge, um, you know, one way or another. But, yeah, hey, an edge, you know, what we didn't talk about Chase Young because everybody thinks that's a foregone conclusion. He's gone at two. But uh, the tackles we touched on and then the top cornerback and then linebacker in uh, Simmons. So, nope, I think we got them all. Dan, you're the best. We appreciate the time. We'll definitely talk to you again at some point before the draft. We appreciate your insight and all your expertise and your experience doing this for a real long time. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, Looking forward to the next time, guys. Thanks a million. All right, those are our two guests. We thank Dan Shanka. We thank Len Zierlein for joining us today on the Giants Huddle Podcast. For Paul Dottino, I am John Schmuck. Again, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Find the subscribe, add us to your favorites. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a positive review. And for all the Giants podcast offerings, go to Giants.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time, everybody.